Hello and good evening. Welcome to another episode of Between the Presets, a podcast by me, Rudy Stetner, that comes out every Monday evening. Here is the place where anything that can be said in polite company is fair game for discussion, even if it occasionally offends. Let's roll. Please be advised that this episode of Between the Presets contains material that may be unsuitable for younger audiences. If that is an issue, please listen at another time or on headphones. Thank you. Good evening. It is Monday evening, the third day of the festival of Sukkot on the Jewish calendar. Sometimes I see news that saddens or angers me at first, and then I have a wave of second thoughts. One of these was uh, stories coming out of Israel on Yom Kippur, that there were uh, secular Israelis who were having uh, Yom Kippur services. That's the day when we uh, fast for 25 hours <clears throat> and uh, militant secularists came and threw chairs and screamed at people and just uh, you know pushed them and st- uh, stuff like that and uh, at first uh, I was yeah I mean I, I remain very upset about that uh, I I you know, if, if somebody wants to call themselves a free thinker and say that they're anti-religious and all that, it would s- seem that disrupting meetings, disrupting prayer services of people who don't share your secular worldview, uh, it's the kind of thing that uh, brown shirts, black shirts, whatever, you know, fascists from the 1930s would do in terms of breaking up the meetings of their opponents. On the other hand, uh, I was really heartened that there were so many people who wanted to uh, hold these various services in uh, public places and people who wanted to uh, celebrate the Feast of Booths, the holiday of Sukkot, um, I, th- I thought it was a beautiful thing. I don't like the idea of putting people into boxes such as religious, not religious, left, right, us, them. And coming from my background, uh, you know, where, where the branches of my family that were Jewish were like minimal in their Jewish practice. Uh, It's very heartening to know that uh, secular Israelis often know or practice quite a bit of their traditions. And um, I don't see secular Israelis as them. I see them as family. In my family, we have some pretty lively get-togethers of people of all kinds of uh, different opinions. Uh, 
But it also occurred to me that the people who were throwing chairs, the people who were jostling people, the people that were cursing at people, sometimes the opposite of love is, is not hatred, it's indifference. And for people to get so incensed that they come out of their houses to go and uh, disrupt people who are uh, engaged in uh, religious activities on uh, the holiest days of uh, the Jewish calendar must mean that something's bothering them. My father used to tell me, he used to say, when, you know, when I'm trying to engage you in discussion to change your behavior, the worst thing I can hear is, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yes, you're right. I'll try to change. If you get upset with me and argue with me, then I know I got you. I know that something I said got your wheels turning, got your juices flowing, and that, uh, you know, you, you will, uh, you're more likely to change than if you just yes me. So I even have hope for some of these um, anti-religious people who acted in ways that, that no one could consider defensible. Well, obviously they could, but, you know, not people who, people who like to let everybody live their lives according to their conscience. One thing that's beautiful in Israeli music is that you have um, some mainstream secular musicians such as Omar Adam and Eden Reichel. And there are others who sing some very religious songs uh, drawn from religious texts that have made it into mainstream playlists, I guess, something akin to what Top 40 would be in the United States. Uh, in my episode description, now and moving forward, I'm going to put some of these names, uh, names and concepts that, uh, you know, I uh, discuss briefly, and that way y'all can, you know, do an online search. I don't like to say Google because... They should not have an, a monopoly on uh, how we search for information. I remember one discussion that used to come up in our family from time to time, and that was the matter of protective tariffs. If you have American automobile companies or American manufacturers and a company from abroad is... Uh, seeking to import to the United States, should one uh, force the American companies by through free market forces to improve their products, make better cars, make better computers or whatever, uh, or to protect American jobs, the American economy, should you put a... Uh, tariff on foreign goods so that if somebody wants to sell a car uh, that might be 
25000 coming from a U.S. manufacturer, and they're offering to sell it for fifteen. then they put a 100% tariff on it, so it's 30000 Well, a lot of our stuff now, a lot of our uh, electronics goods, our consumer goods are made abroad now. American manufacturing has taken a beating. But one area where this uh, tariff versus free market uh, argument is very relevant is when it comes to education. Uh, In most localities... If an American citizen wants to fulfill their requirement for the compulsory education of their children, they send them to the closest local public school. And many parents will try, indeed, to live in an area where the public schools are known to be good. Now, let's say a person belongs to a religion that they take very seriously. They're, say, some denomination of Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever. And they want the teachings of their faith woven into the fabric of the school curriculum. As it now stands in the majority of localities, if a person wants to send their child to a religious school or any other type of private school, that's on them. They have to pay the tuition of the private school, which can only receive very limited help from the government. That varies according to from locality to the to locality. And they have to pay uh, the taxes which go to public school education. In effect, that amounts to a 100% uh, tariff, a coercive tariff, on the cost of education. If you have your own ideas, your own choices, you got to pay double. And not only that, if you have uh, majored in education and you want to teach, say, according to the religion or religious beliefs that you find most compatible, if you want to teach in a Catholic school, a Jewish school, uh, whatever, then you got to take a big hit on your pay. Forget In most cases, forget about teachers' pensions, forget about all the benefits. So it's coercive, not only this punitive tariff on private school education, is not only coercive to parents who rightfully consider the values their children are taught to be an essential part of their education, maybe the most critical, it's also coercive to teachers. You want to get, you want to get uh, your be- best possible pay? Then you teach in schools that are on our approved list. Uh, and 
and now it's not just a question of uh, theology, but uh, a person who has uh, parents who have uh, strong traditionalist views, as say about uh, gender roles, uh, sexual identity, what have you. Uh, in some public schools, uh, a kid can go to school. Uh, and sometimes even with some prompting, be fed the idea that he or she is not a he or she, but something else. And uh, choose your pronouns, choose your gender, it, yada, yada. It's a social construct. A lot of parents are not okay with that, and it would seem that it should be their right to go to a place where their children are educated according to the dictates of their conscience as parents. It used to be called in loco parentis. Several times when I was growing up, teachers would say, our authority comes over you comes from the legal doctrine of in loco parentis, which means in the place of the parents, meaning that the uh, teachers, the administration of schools are supposed to uh, respect the wishes of the parents and make good faith judgment as uh, teachers to attempt to validate or at least not contradict uh, the way the children are being raised. That, of course, comes with some limits. Uh, if a child comes to school with bruises um, or evidence of not, not being cared for, school has to step in. But now, not only are people faced with this double tariff on edu on educational choice. They're also, in some cases, shut out of school board meetings, um, labeled as extremist, even investigated by the FBI for uh, questioning, uh, questioning the special interest groups that have... Uh, in many cases, uh, gotten a stranglehold on education. It's a big problem. We think that we think of uh, a socialist system as being one where businesses are taken over by the government, where a corporation or business becomes a people's business or a people's corporation. And... Uh, Things are decided from some central control office. But what seems to be happening is the factories are still private. Businesses are still private, although there are a lot of problems there. The COVID lockdowns, etc. But decisions that rightfully belong to uh, parents are being taken taken over by the government. There's a lot of strong-arming going on. Not a good thing. 
In Communist China, there are officially recognized religious denominations. And those religious denominations are usually kind of um, spiritually neutered so that they don't uh, say anything that would offend the government. Then they have what are called house churches. And in the house churches, uh, they're usually away from the prying eyes of the government for as long as they can swing that. Uh, people literally pray in secret, and the religion that they are given is taught courageously without seeking a seal of approval from the Communist Party of China. That arrangement of official churches and house churches uh, prevailed in East Germany, Soviet Union, very common feature of totalitarian regimes. Now, we don't officially ban any um, religious group for having, um, how would I say it, minority political views. But there can be soft coercion. If there's elections and if you want to uh, endorse uh, a candidate that's in power, there can be financial remunerations that come from that. And if not, there can be financial consequences. We have seen our schools taken over by cliques of extremists with an agenda. And I think we need to watch out for our churches, mosques, synagogues, uh, whatever house of worship it is you're talking about, making sure that uh, they keep their independence uh, we don't want to have to get into situations where you have underground houses of worship. We kind of had a taste of that during COVID when they were very zealous about closing down houses of worship. It really saddened me. And I wonder whether it was public health or whether it was sort of an exercise in uh, controlling the people. In our education, we need to teach students to be good citizens. Democracies have voted themselves out of existence. Uh, Hitler was elected at a popular vote under a parliamentary system. We all know where that went. In the United States, our great Democrat president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, ordered the incarceration of uh, American citizens of Japanese ancestry. It also happened, by the way, to uh, Italian Americans and some German Americans, too. But it sets a chilling precedent that somebody distrusts your ancestry and they're willing to mark you as an enemy.
Now, compared to how Americans and Europeans were treated, civilians were treated by the Japanese, and how Japanese American prisoners were treated by the Americans, there's just no comparison. But still, it's a chilling precedent. We have to ask ourselves, how did we let that happen? Uh, how is the rule of law so easily discarded? You could probably do a whole semester, a whole year of study, and you could call it genocide studies. You have the Cambodian genocide, where they, uh, I think they killed about a third of a quarter of the population. Uh, communist regime killed, they would kill people if, if they could see that they wore glasses. Some, they would t find somebody who was wearing glasses, they would kill them for that. If somebody was known to be a college professor, forget about it. Dead meat. You had the Armenian genocide, where Armenians were accused of being disloyal to the Ottoman Empire and collectively punished uh, guilty with the innocent, innocent with the guilty. These were citizens of the Ottoman Empire, stripped of their rights. Then, in the 19th century, you had the Congolese genocide in which the, a private uh, corporation from Belgium colonized uh, uh, the con what is today the Congo and uh, later on it was uh, the it was turned into a government colony and uh, it was it was a genocide that the, that the people of the Congo were turned into slaves for Western business interests. Uh, then, of course, there is the Rwandan genocide in 1994, in which close to a million Rwandans were killed in a hundred days. And we're not talking about industrialized murder, we're talking about machetes. The country still bears the scars of that, uh, of that particular genocide. The reason I mention these is because freedom and a constitutional republic requires maintenance. It's very easy to say we have an emergency, we have a crisis, and in order to solve the crisis or emergency, we need to Trim your rights a little bit, maybe even suspend them. Don't worry, it's for your own good, it's for public health. Don't be scared, we're looking out for your own good. History is littered with examples where uh, emergencies turned into opportunities for cliques of scoundrels. So yeah, I th I'm, I'm saying very clearly that there should be genocide studies.
because what happened to Armenians, what happened to Jews, what happened to Cambodians, the only way the only way you can say never again is if you prevent those things from happening again to anybody. So I thank you all for listening, and I look forward to uh, getting back to you all next week. You all have a blessed rest of the week. This wraps up another weekly episode of Between the Presets. I thank you all for the pleasure of sharing with me my weekly muse. Whatever platform you access, hitting like, subscribe, or leaving a comment is much appreciated. My email address is thewinterriders at gmail.com. Thewinterriders at gmail.com. Until next week, adio, which in some African languages means born on Monday or be righteous and closely resembles adios in Spanish.